0: Hey guys, I'm Chastity and you're listening to the Ancient Conspiracies Podcast, where we connect the origins of some of the most popular conspiracy theories to biblical history. Well, Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have a phenomenal episode for you, but let me first say that if you missed the last episode, episode 20, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it first. Today's episode will be building on the foundation that we laid in that episode. In episode 20, we introduced the alien phenomena, and today we're going to talk about the Catholic perspective of the alien phenomena. And before we get started, I just want to make it abundantly clear that I have absolutely nothing against Catholics or the Catholic Church. To be honest, I don't have personal experience or history with the Catholic Church, and that disqualifies me from having strong opinions one way or another. I also have close friends who I love and respect that are Catholic, and I have have zero intention of throwing stones or pitting any person's religious beliefs against another. So I just want to make it abundantly clear that the information that I'll be sharing today will remain factual. And it's truly intended to simply shine some light on activities that have been happening in the world's oldest and largest continuously functioning Christian institution. Nothing more, nothing less. So, with that out of the way, let's talk about what the Vatican has to say about aliens. Now, most everything I'll be sharing today comes from the research of my beloved Pastor Tom Horn. I'm telling you, if you don't follow him, this man has been on top of what's happening for decades. And I've been right there following him every step of the way. And a decade ago, he and the late Chris Putnam wrote a book called Exo Vaticana, which exposed at the time the secretive work that the Vatican had been conducting on the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, astrobiology, and the intriguing preparations that they had been making for the arrival of an alien savior. Now, we ended last week by talking about how the arrival of the Antichrist in Scripture eerily mimics the return of Christ. Whereas Christ is said to appear returning in the heavens, the Antichrist also seems to be heralded with lying signs and wonders in the heavens. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, quote, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness." So Pastor Tom Horn puts forth the question of what might constitute these false signs and wonders in the heavens. Might we discover life on other planets? Could we establish first contact? Or could this be something like an armada of UFOs suddenly appearing in our skies? Well, if you've been following the news this month, you'll know all too well that just a few weeks ago, the U.S. military was seemingly shooting UFOs out of the sky on a daily basis. I wrote an article about it on my blog, which you can find at ancientconspiracies.com. Coincidentally, I recorded the last podcast introducing aliens the week before these sightings ever took place. By the time these sightings were hitting the news, my podcast was already recorded, uploaded, and waiting to air. So to me, it was completely predestined for us to be covering this topic in the podcast while it was also being covered by the mainstream media. What a crazy coincidence. Now, in my blog, I shared how Senator Marco Rubio came out of the Senate briefing denying that these sightings were connected to aliens, and he redirected the conversation to discuss his concern about foreign adversaries having potentially developed technology that the U.S. is unaware of. And I have to say, I agree that what they've recovered thus far does not appear to be of extraterrestrial origin. But what's curious to me is that he made this exact statement two years ago when the video footage of three UFOs taken by Navy pilots was declassified by the Pentagon. In an interview with CBS News regarding this video footage, he made practically the same statement, that he was more concerned about foreign adversaries having made a technological leap than extraterrestrial visitation. As we mentioned last episode, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid was instrumental in funding the government UFO research program tip which brought about the declassification of the footage that Marco Rubio was commenting on. And Senator Reid made a statement of his own on the heels of Marco Rubio's statement. Senator Reid claimed that objects of unknown origin had crashed, and the retrieved materials, which were quote, not of this world, were now in the possession of the U.S. government under top-secret study. And that's what he felt comfortable saying publicly. So what more was said behind closed doors in the classified briefing that Marco Rubio attended? And yet, Marco Rubio came out of that briefing and held to his speculation that it might still be advanced technology from foreign countries. In his most recent interview just a few weeks ago, he made another curious comment that in the 65 years of NORAD's existence, they've never shot anything down. Now, NORAD is the North American Aerospace Defense Command. Which begs the question, if they haven't shot anything down in 65 years of monitoring weather research balloons and or spy balloons, what was it that they encountered in the skies which required such a response? After all, the military not only recognized the Chinese spy balloon fairly immediately, but they monitored it as it traveled across the entire United States before shooting it down off the coast of South Carolina. So what caused such an alarm that they felt the need to shoot these other objects down immediately? What could possibly be so concerning that our military even crossed country borders to shoot an unidentified object down over a neighboring country? which makes it all the more curious to me that Marco Rubio appears to be sticking with the same old auto-response, disregarding the idea of extraterrestrial intervention and rather focusing on advanced foreign technology. He obviously knows something that hasn't been released, or he's intentionally deflecting our attention from something else. And that leads into our discussion today. Are UFOs going to guide the world into a great deception? And how? Well, in recent years, polls have shown that two-thirds of Americans believe that intelligent life exists on other planets. Even more incredibly, a poll taken in the UK back in 2012 showed that more people believe in extraterrestrials than in God. And let's face it, if aliens arrive tomorrow claiming to come in peace with the intention of saving us from the brink of nuclear war... They would certainly be more widely accepted among spiritualists, secularists, and even atheists than Christ himself returning in the clouds. The real question is how would the world's largest religions respond to this arrival? Well, The Catholic Church specifically has already been laying the groundwork for this exact scenario. Father Guy Consolmagno, who we introduced last episode, is a leading astronomer and spokesperson for the Vatican. He's a Jesuit priest that has worked at NASA, taught at Harvard and MIT, and he currently splits his time between the Vatican Observatory in Rome and the Vatican Observatory on Mount Graham in Arizona. He made a statement back in 2012 that, quote, if one day we discovered that we're not alone in the universe, all that we believe in will not necessarily be wrong. We're going to find out that everything is truer in ways that we couldn't even yet have imagined, unquote. And speaking of Mount Graham, did you know that the Vatican has a telescope in Arizona? It's located in a multi-million dollar observatory complex, a consortium for astronomers from around the world. And it holds three large telescopes, one of which is the VAT, the Vatican Astronomy Telescope, and another is called the LBT, the Large Binocular Telescope. The LBT is the largest telescope of its kind in the entire world and inside the LBT is what's known as the Lucifer device. Now the Lucifer device is an advanced form of infrared technology, meaning that the large binocular telescope is able to peer into outer space and see things on the infrared spectrum that can't be seen with the naked eye. Now infrared can detect objects that are too cold or too far away. It has longer wavelengths than visible light, giving it the ability to pass through astronomical gas and dust without being scattered. It's also useful for studying dark matter and dark energy. Now, over a decade ago, Pastor Tom Horn and the late Chris Putnam were allowed to visit the observatory on Mount Graham. They claim that it's a heavily guarded compound and it's forbidden to arrive without an appointment. They were given a tour of the observatory by the Jesuit father on duty, who they claimed spoke of UFOs as openly as we would talk about the daily weather. Now, other astronomers they spoke to on the tour laughingly joked that when research teams would come, to utilize the large binocular telescope, sometimes they would have to wait for armadas of craft in deep space to move out of the way before they could view whatever it was they came to see. Now, among the most important research conducted by the Large Binocular Telescope is the study of astrobiology, which is the marriage of astronomy, the study of space, and biology, the study of life. Therefore, astrobiology is the study of life in space. And they're also searching for extrasolar planets and monitoring exo-worlds that they believe might contain advanced alien intelligence. Now, Pastor Tom Horn and Chris Putnam were actually allowed to record their entire tour of this observatory, along with the interviews they conducted. Now this footage is well over a decade old, but they've revamped it recently, added even newer interviews into the mix, and compiled a brand new documentary titled The Great Delusion, The Second Coming of Earth's Oldest Enemy. And you can purchase it at SkyWatchTV.com. Now, before we move forward, there's something incredibly significant about the location of this observatory. Mount Graham has long been considered sacred to the Apache Indians. They believe that this mountain is a stargate, a portal through which star brothers have long accessed Earth. In fact, when Tom Horn and Chris Putnam visited the observatory, they were later contacted by a member of the Apache tribe. And this Apache historian claimed that the Apache filed a federal lawsuit and fought to keep NASA and the Vatican from building on top of Mount Graham, since it has long been considered a sacred place. He went so far as to claim that Mount Graham is one of the four holiest mountains in all the world to all indigenous peoples which makes it even more curious why this specific mountain was chosen to be the location of this massive observatory. Now, in the late 1990s, Vatican expert Father Malachi Martin was asked directly why the Vatican had a presence on Mount Graham. And before I give you his shocking answer, let me explain the significance of who Malachi Martin is. Father Malachi Martin was an ex-Jesuit. For those that don't know, the Jesuits are basically the scientific arm of the Catholic Church. He was also a retired professor from the Pontifical Biblical Institute, and he could speak over a dozen languages. He worked inside the Vatican on some of their most top secret projects with access to secret files. He even worked on translating the Dead Sea Scrolls for the Vatican. He was not only a former exorcist, for the Catholic Church, but he was also an advisor to three separate popes. Now, he eventually retired from the Catholic service and moved to New York, where he wrote a series of books that were deeply critical of the Catholic leadership. In the late 1990s, he made seven separate appearances on Art Bell's radio program on Coast to Coast AM. Now, you can find all seven of his interviews on YouTube or in the audio library section of my private blog, if you're a member. He covers everything from his personal experiences during the exorcisms he performed to his thoughts on demonic activities to his disdain for what was happening behind closed doors in the Catholic Church. He even discusses the prophecy of the Popes and also the Third Secret of Fatima, both of which we will be talking about in a future episode, and he does not hold back. These interviews are deeply revealing, and in some cases, deeply troubling. So in one of his interviews with Art Bell, he was asked directly why the Vatican was so heavily vested in the study of deep space on Mount Graham, to which he replied, Quote, the reason that the Vatican is on top of Mount Graham is because the mentality amongst those who are at the highest levels of Vatican administration and geopolitics know what's going on in space and that what is approaching us could be of the greatest importance within the next decade, unquote. What's incredible about this is, is that almost a decade later, in 2009, the Vatican abruptly called for an astrobiology week, which brought forth leading experts in both quantum and theoretical physics to determine what the impact might be on faith and religion if life was found elsewhere in the universe. And let me tell you, the response was mind-blowing. Now, in the years leading up to this event, there were already strong opinions being formed and publicly circulated amongst the Vatican elite. As far back as the 1970s to the 1990s, Monsignor Corrado Balducci, an exorcist, a Catholic theologian in the Vatican Curia, the Vatican government, and a personal friend to the Pope, began appearing on Italian TV claiming that extraterrestrials were not only possible but according to him they were already interacting with Earth and the Vatican leaders were aware of it. Now he was the sanctioned spokesperson for the Vatican on the subject of extraterrestrials. He was also a well-known demonologist and he claimed that extraterrestrial encounters are real and not demonic in nature or due to psychological impairment or hallucination. He disclosed that the Vatican had been closely following this phenomenon and quietly compiling material evidence from around the world on extraterrestrials and their mission. He went so far as to say, quote, It is entirely credible that in the enormous distance between angels and humans, there could be found a middle stage, beings with a body like ours, but more elevated spiritually, unquote. In 2008, Father Jose Gabriel Funes, the director for the Vatican Observatory in Rome, wrote an article for the El Observador Romano, which is the newspaper for Vatican City. Now, The article was titled, The Extraterrestrial is My Brother. In it, Father Funes responded to the question of whether extraterrestrials would need to be redeemed to which he replied that although God became man in Jesus to save us, quote, We could not say that they too need redemption. They could have remained in full friendship with the Creator. Now, according to Pastor Tom Horn, the phrase, full friendship, is a concept that some Vatican theologians promote. It's the idea that an extraterrestrial species may exist that are morally superior to humans, closer to God than we are, and as a consequence, may eventually come to evangelize us which is exactly what Vatican astronomer Guy Consul Magno seems to believe. In his book, Brother Astronomer, The Adventures of a Vatican Scientist, he says, quote, So the question of whether or not one should evangelize is really a moot point. Any alien we find will learn and change in contact with us, just as we will learn and change in contact with them. It's inevitable. They will be evangelizing us, unquote. Now, Father Jose Funes even went a step further in his article for the El Observador Romano to claim that he believes alien life not only exists in the universe, but that it is our brother. He said, quote, How can we rule out that life may have developed elsewhere? If we consider earthly creatures as brothers and sisters, Why should we not talk about an extraterrestrial brother? They would still be a part of creation, and believing in the existence of such is not contradictory to Catholic doctrine, So skip forward to 2014, and Pope Francis made headlines for also claiming that extraterrestrials should be viewed as our brothers and sisters, and that he would go so far as to baptize them. So let's just do a quick recap. They're claiming that extraterrestrials are real and not demonic in nature, but rather closer to God than we are. And they should be considered our brothers and sisters, having come from the same creator. In 2008, Father Giuseppe Tanzaniti, an Opus Dei level theologian at the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross in Rome, that's the Vatican's university, wrote a paper for the Interdisciplinary Encyclopedia of Religion and Science. In his paper, he too suggests that aliens may evangelize us. He says, quote, Every believer in God would greet the E.T. civilization as an extraordinary experience and be inclined to respect the alien and recognize the common origin of our different species as being from the same creator, unquote. According to Giuseppe, this contact by extraterrestrial intelligence would then offer possibilities to better understand the relationship between God and the whole of creation. Basically, they would enlighten us about the ways of God. He goes on to say that although Christians may not feel it necessary to renounce their faith in God right away, they might eventually be persuaded to after the new religious content originating from these extraterrestrials is confirmed as reasonable and credible. He says, quote, "...once the trustworthiness of information has been verified, the believer would have to reconcile the new information with the truth that you believe, based on a rereading of the gospel, including the new data," unquote. Essentially, these extraterrestrials will likely bring forth new information that will significantly modify our understanding of Jesus Christ. Now, Christopher Corbali, a former Vatican Observatory director, wrote an article in 1997, which was published in a book called The Interplay Between Scientific and Theological Worldviews. His article was titled, What If There Were Other Inhabited Worlds? And in it, he concludes that Jesus might not remain the only word of salvation. Quote, I would try to explore the alien by letting it be what it is without rushing for a classification category not even presuming two genders. While Christ is the first and last word spoken to humanity he's not necessarily the only word spoken to the universe for the word spoken to us does not seem to exclude an equivalent word spoken to aliens. God as omnipotent is not restricted to one form of language, the human." And Jesuit Father Domenico Grasso seems to echo this mentality. He suggests that extraterrestrials will likely be far ahead of us in science and related fields, and their version of salvation might even be based on a Savior other than Jesus, even a Messianic member of their own race. He says, these beings closer to God than man, perhaps even unfallen, would possess superior theology that could expand markedly our terrestrial understanding of redemption and knowledge of God, unquote. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. In an interview with the Sunday Herald, Father Guy Magno claimed that his job included reconciling, quote, the Wildest Reaches of Science Fiction with the Flint-Eyed Dogma of the Holy See, And he claimed that his latest meander was about the Jesus Seed, which he described as a brain-warping theory, which promotes that every planet harboring self-aware intelligent life may also have a Christ figure. Now in 2005, Father Guy Consomagno wrote a book titled Intelligent Life in the Universe, Catholic Belief and the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligent Life. Now, shortly before it was set to publish, the publisher and the Vatican stopped it in its tracks. It was never published. But Pastor Tom Horn happened to reach out to Father Consul Magno, and in the course of that correspondence, Father Consul Magno sent Pastor Tom Horn a private PDF version of the book. Now, Pastor Horn called it a gold mine that exposed what Father Consul Magno and the Vatican considered to be the ramifications of astrobiology and the disclosure of advanced extraterrestrial life. In the book, Consul Magno admits how contemporary societies may be led to view extraterrestrials as the saviors of mankind. He also argues how humans are not the only intelligent beings that God created in the universe. Non-humans are also described in the Bible, and he points to not only the angels, but also to the Nephilim. Now, Pastor Tom Horn has this PDF posted on his website, skywatchtv.com, for anyone who wants to view it. It'll also be located in the PDF library on my private blog. But here's a direct quote that he highlights from Consul Magno's book. Quote, Other heavenly beings come up several times in the Psalms. Psalms eighty nine says, Let the heavens praise your wonders in the assembly of the holy ones, for who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? Likewise, God asked Job in Job thirty eight, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation, when the morning stars sang together, and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Are these heavenly beings a reference to angels or another kind of life beyond our knowledge? And these are not the only non-human intelligent creatures mentioned in the Bible. There's that odd and mysterious passage in the beginning of Genesis 6 that describes the sons of God taking human wives. With it is a frustratingly oblique reference to the Nephilim, the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. Most biblical scholars suggest that the Nephilim and the sons of God in Genesis can be explained away as a leftover reference to the creation stories of the pagans who surrounded ancient Israel, and that they were written by the kind of people who saw anyone who was not of my tribe as being unmistakably alien. Likewise, the reference to the heavens and stars singing and praising the Lord can be seen simply for the beautiful poetry that it is. But whether you interpret these creatures as angels or aliens doesn't really matter for the sake of our argument here. The point is that the ancient writers of the Bible, like all ancient peoples, were perfectly happy with the possibility that other intelligent beings could exist." So let's break this down. First of all, he claims that most biblical scholars see the story of the sons of God in the Nephilim as an outdated reference to the much older creation stories of the pagans. He also claims that this history was written by the kind of people, the Israelites, who were somehow prejudiced towards anyone outside of their own tribe. And he doesn't stop there; he goes on further in the book to use the story of the Nephilim as an example of the intelligent life that man may soon look to for salvation. He quotes John chapter ten, verse sixteen, quote, "I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd." Unquote. And he goes on to claim that, quote, perhaps it's not so far fetched to see the second person of the Trinity, the Word, who was present at the beginning of creation, not simply as the Son of Man, but also as a child of other races, unquote. What an outrageous and dangerously blasphemous assertion. Now, this comment astonished Pastor Tom Horn so much that he emailed Father Guy Consul Magno and asked him directly if Vatican scholars actually believe that Jesus might have been the star child of an alien race. He also asked if Father Guy Consomagno and other Jesuits secretly hold that the virgin birth was in reality an abduction scenario in which Mary was impregnated by an extraterrestrial and gave birth to a hybrid child, since that seems to be the implication presented in the book. He not only never received a response, but he never heard from Father Guy Consul Magno again. It's no wonder that the book was pulled by the Vatican and the publisher. But what makes it infinitely worse is that this accusation didn't come from some secular sideline spectator, but rather from one of the Vatican's top astronomers, the president of the Vatican Observatory Foundation, who is widely promoted as the Pope's astronomer. And what's frightening is that his writings may offer some insight into the radical explanations currently being circulated inside the Vatican that will be used to explain a future arrival of extraterrestrials. The question we have to ask ourselves is, would their arrival and the revelations they bring only challenge the divinity of Jesus, or would it also challenge Buddha and Allah as well? I'd be interested to know. And could the Vatican, either knowingly or unknowingly, be setting itself up to become the agent of a mass end-time deception regarding a coming alien savior? You know, we talk a lot in this podcast about the flip side of the coin. In fact, that was the whole purpose of this podcast to begin with, to expose the ancient conspiracy, the flip side of the coin, the other version of history that is slowly being unveiled, which at times is so virtually identical to the truth that it's going to be widely accepted, even by believers in the end days. Matthew chapter 24 says that even the very elect will be deceived. We're talking about the greatest counterfeit in human history, literally. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, there is a narrative being formed, which up until recently was really more widely circulated by archaeologists and historians, and it challenges the biblical history by claiming that the stories from the Bible are actually based on much older and more ancient archaeological and historical practices, that the ancient Israelites modified the stories and traditions already in existence to glorify their God in instead. Stories like the flood of Noah are actually based on much older flood stories, like the one found in the Epic of Gilgamesh. The story of Nimrod is based on the Sumerian story of Enmerkar. The Israelite feasts, like the Feast of Tabernacles, may have been a knockoff of the pagan festival of Zukru, And now it's coming from our own religious officials, claiming that the Israelites negatively stereotyped the poor Nephilim simply because they were from a foreign tribe. And rather than being visited by an angel, Mary may have had a physical encounter with an alien, and we need to be prepared for the possibility that our Lord and Savior may not even. Even technically be who we assume him to be. Whether you want to believe it or not, this narrative is becoming more and more mainstream, even by the very people who guard the oldest relics within our religion. And their revelations will no doubt be used to confuse people and challenge the Word of God. And what I find most interesting is that the Jesuits are paving the way, the scientific arm of the church. If you remember my episodes on secret societies, the fallen angel knowledge was passed down and kept hidden within secret occult societies. What was once considered sorcery eventually became science, which is why science has always been at war with religion. It's not because the things of God can't have scientific reasoning or be scientifically proven, but rather because corrupt and nefarious knowledge was introduced through extraterrestrial intervention. The fallen angels manipulated information through science, history, astrology, and spiritualism to promote a false narrative in which they exalted themselves as our gods. They used science in an attempt to disprove God, and therein lies the war between science and religion. And in the same way that Kabbalism is the scientific or esoteric branch of Judaism, the Jesuits are the scientific branch of Catholicism that clearly are beginning to lean towards the esoteric version of history. And this is why Father Malachi Martin, who we mentioned earlier, grew to oppose them, even though he himself had been a Jesuit. In his 1987 book, The Jesuits, the Society of Jesus and the betrayal of the Roman Catholic Church. He described the battle between the traditionalists and the liberation theologians within the Jesuit order, and he argued that it had become the opposite of what its founder had meant it to be. And is it any coincidence, therefore, that Pope Francis, who promotes extraterrestrials as our brothers and sisters, and claims to be willing to baptize them, is the first Jesuit in all of history to be elected Pope? There has never been a Jesuit Pope before Pope Francis, and this may very well be why Pope Francis is considered by some to be the false prophet mentioned in End Times Prophecy, who will perform miracles and deceive the nations into following the beast, and we're going to dive into this in a future episode. The bottom line is that the groundwork is already being laid, even in religious circles, to deceive mankind. The truth of the matter is that according to the Bible, there's only one other time in human history when otherworldly beings interacted with humans, which was immediately followed by genetic corruption and the flood and we might be on the verge of living in those times again. In Matthew chapter 24, Christ Himself said, as it were in the days of Noah, so it shall be with the coming of the Son of Man. And just to drive home the spiritual battle that has taken place throughout history, in my very first podcast episode where I introduced the Book of Enoch, I shared an audio clip from L.A. Marzulli, who was on the Hagman and Hagman show, promoting his new book at the time called The Cosmic Chess Match. And in his interview, he talks about the spiritual warfare between Satan and God that has happened throughout history. If you haven't heard it, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to just his 10 minute audio clip at the end of episode 1 it explains why God throughout the Bible showed no mercy to some civilizations and told the Israelites to even kill the women and children why would he do such a thing well it's because when you read the scripture closely there are always clues to Nephilim influence the seed of the serpent and this is why the punishment was severe. The seed of the serpent throughout history continually attempted to corrupt the plan of salvation and lead astray the children of God. Now I recently heard a sermon by Pastor Tony Evans who offered a very similar historical perspective of this spiritual warfare. Take a listen to this.
1: Now to understand that you have to understand the history of the conflict that we call spiritual warfare. You see, God made the first move when he created angels. Lucifer reacted negatively to that move and rebelled against God, took one third of the angels with him. God countered that move by creating man in his own image a little lower than the angels. Satan rebelled against that move by getting Adam and Eve to turn the earth over to his control. But God countered that move by providing a redemptive covering for Adam and Eve so that they could return back to fellowship with God. Of course, Satan tried to counter that move by getting Cain to kill Abel in order to cut off the godly line. Well, that's when God countered that move through the birth of Seth so that men began to call on the name of the Lord again. Of course, that's when Satan tried to counter that move through the birth of Nimrod, who built the civilizations of Babylon and Assyria. They gathered at the Tower of Babel to build a religion in defiance of God. Of course, that's when God counted that move by going to the heir of the Chaldees, finding a man named Abraham and saying, I'm going to create my own nation that will obey. Of course, that's when Satan counted that move by getting them trapped into Egypt so that Pharaoh would not let them go. But then God counted that move by going to Moses and Midian and telling him uh, to go tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. And the whole Old Testament is move, counter-move, move, counter-move, move, counter-move, move, counter-move. And we're not sure who went in this game. You come to the end of the Old Testament, there are 400 silent years. Between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, both sides are just staring at the board. But when the New Testament opens up, so-and-so begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so, until you get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, who begot Joseph, who was married to Mary, by whom was born Jesus Christ. Up until this time, God would find a man and use a man. When the New Testament opens up, God says, I'm tired of this mess. Let me come on down here and take care of this mama myself. So God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Satan tried to counter that move by tempting him in uh, the wilderness. Jesus overcame that through the use of the word of God. Then he made his final move by getting Jesus Christ nailed to a cross to forever get rid of this agent of God. But that's when God made the final move because early on Easter Sunday morning, a little while before day, the grave was open. Jesus Christ arose and the final move was made the move he didn't bank
0: on and that move is your move there is no doubt that we are in a battle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of darkness the deepest deceivers spiritual wickedness in heavenly places And there is coming a day when your life is going to depend on who you think is telling the true version of history. And the only weapon we have to determine the truth is by listening to who they claim God to be. And I'm 100% confident that this is why we're told in 1 John chapter 4 to test the spirits. Any spirit that confesses Jesus as God is of God. and Those that can't are not of God. They are anti-Christ. In Matthew chapter 7, Christ tells us to, quote, "...watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are voracious wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit." Meaning, a tree produces fruit in line with its character. An apple tree doesn't produce another type of fruit. In the same way, their fruit will manifest eventually and reveal the spirit within. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, we're given a vivid description and a strict warning against false prophets and teachers. Quote, There were false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies and even deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. Many will follow their evil teachings and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. It goes on to say that they blaspheme in matters that they do not understand. But here's what's interesting. He immediately follows this by telling us that they will be punished just like the angels who sinned and are currently awaiting judgment, and the ancient world that was destroyed with a flood and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, who coincidentally were also heavily influenced by the Nephilim. Each one of the examples given to describe the comparable punishment that these false teachers will receive connects to the Nephilim. So it's not a stretch to believe that these false teachers will in some way also be connected to the Nephilim. And that's where we're gonna end today. Now next week, we're detouring from our timeline and we're gonna talk about what Pastor Tony Evans called the final move. And I'm gonna answer the question, should Christians celebrate Easter or Passover? If you're familiar with my podcast, the answer shouldn't surprise you. We're going to explore the pagan origins of Easter, which originated from the pagan fertility goddess Ishtar, which explains why Easter is symbolized by bunnies and eggs. It's going to be an eye-opening episode, to say the least. And before we go, I just want to remind you that my new blog is currently live. You can find me at ancientconspiracies.net to stay up to date with news headlines pertaining to biblical prophecy. In the meantime, if you're loving the podcast, please consider becoming a listener supporter and helping me do what I love so that I can continue sharing this knowledge with others. There's a link in the description of today's episode if listener support is something that you're interested in. But if not, please consider leaving me a review on whatever platform you're using. Reviews bring credibility for those who aren't familiar with my show. And as always, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and share this podcast with a friend. We'll see you next time.